So I'm going to be sharing a message entitled, When Jesus Stood Up. Won't you just turn to the person next to you quickly and just say, When Jesus Stood Up. Right? When Jesus Stood Up. And like every morning, we're talking about Jesus this morning, but we're not going to be throwing it back to the Gospels like we did last week. Last week, we threw it back to Luke chapter number 10 and actually looked at some other stuff that, that Luke was, was writing specifically and, and, and what Jesus was saying. But this morning, we're actually staying in the book of Acts. We're staying here in Acts chapter number 6 and chapter number 7. And this incredible story that spans across Acts 6 and 7 um, ends with this incredible moment where Jesus stands up. Now we know the Bible tells us that when Jesus went into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. That's his position. He sits down, the work is done, the work is complete. But here at the end of Acts chapter number 7, we see Jesus standing up. And there's something that caused Jesus to stand. There's something that caused him to get up from that position at the side of God's throne. And, and I want to talk a little bit about that today. If you've ever been to a show or an event where it's been such a great performance that spontaneously at the end of the show, people just stand up and cheer. Has anybody ever been a part of a, of a show or a performance uh, where people just get up on their feet and they just start applauding? And, and uh, this happens to me a lot when I preach. I'm, I'm not sure why. Um, I'm like, stop it, guys. Stop it. Sit down. Sit down. Um, but we see Jesus standing here. And uh, we're going to go, first of all, to Acts chapter number 6. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Acts chapter number 6 and verse 1. Um, I usually read from the ESV translation of the Bible. I find it to be very accurate and very helpful. Um, but whatever version you're reading is good. Acts chapter number 6 and verse 1. And we're going to read through to verse uh, number 8. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, by the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, I don't know about you, but that verse just encourages me because here we have the apostles themselves running church and they have complaints like day one. I mean, literally yesterday everybody got saved, but today there's always complaints, which just shows me that no church is perfect. Even the church in the beginning, they were going, hey guys, there's some issues that we've got to figure out. And that just encourages me because church is made up of people and people are imperfect. And so there is no perfect church. And we see it here, even with the, with the early church. It says, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and they mentioned a couple of guys there. The last name is probably the easiest one to pronounce, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, even the, the Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen, full of grace and full of power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Let's just go ahead and pray this morning, and we're going to look at, uh, at these two chapters. Jesus, we thank you so much this morning that uh, this morning your grace and power is available to us. 
that this morning you are here, you're present, you're speaking, you're moving, you're changing, you're delivering, Lord God. You're helping us, Lord God. Uh, think, more, think less of ourselves and more of you, more of what you've called us to, more of the purpose that we have in you, more of, of the grace that we find in you, God. We thank you, Jesus, that this morning we're not listening to human words, Jesus, but that you take our fallible words, you empower them by your spirit, and you, through your spirit, speak to our hearts. We give you all the glory and the honor this morning. We humble ourselves before you and before your word, and we thank you that you are speaking to us today, even as you spoke to these apostles in the early church. We thank you for this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm sure you would have noticed that technology and culture at this present moment in time is increasing and changing at a rapid speed. At breakneck speeds, we're finding that technology is developing. In fact, when you open up Twitter or you open up uh, the, the internet somewhere, you find almost every single day there is talk of a new invention or, a, or, or, or something new that's been developed or a new breakthrough in science, just culture developing and technology progressing so quickly. We now have printers that can print in 3D. We're no longer just printing it just flat on a piece of paper. We can now print things. Things can now be printed with a printer. And they're talking about how these 3D printers will be able to, if you need a limb, print you a limb. If you need an arm, it'll just print you an arm. If you need a lung, it'll print you a lung. If you need some calves, <laughs> where's William? Oh, no. You can just print yourself some calves. <laughs> I think attaching them might be more difficult, but you can print yourself some calves. You can print yourself a brain for those of you that need that. I'm totally seeing how that would be like an insult when you're driving in the future. You know, you're driving and somebody cuts you off and you lean out of the window. You just print yourself a brain. You know, just that kind of stuff will, will start to happen. And so we are progressing rapidly. And one of the things that's happening is, is that because of all of this advancement and how things are changing and how rapidly they're changing, we are coming up with new words at an unprecedented level. New words that are added to the dictionary. Every year, the Oxford Dictionary adds a bunch of new words to describe things that never existed before. And so the Oxford Dictionary actually pick a word of the year every year, which is the, the new word that got uh, added to the dictionary that's made the biggest impact. And back in 2013, the word of the year was the word selfie, which if you don't know, you should know, but if you don't know, is basically to take a photo of yourself. You, take a, you taking a photo of yourself, and sometimes there may be some other people in that photo. You're holding the camera. There may be somebody behind you. There may be a little bit of landscape or something cool behind you. And then every now and again, a random photo bomber. Now that's an also a new word, which means somebody who inserted themselves into your photo without your consent while you were taking a selfie. So, so, so this word, selfie, never existed in the past. It's something brand new that, that we've come to do in the last few years. And I think there's two reasons for it. The first reason is because in the old days, cameras were just too big. I mean, you would just basically break your camera in attempting to, to take a selfie at any point because you've got a big thing and you would just drop it. So that's one reason. But another reason is because in our culture today, with social media, with the lives that we live that have become so social and so public, we have become more obsessed with ourselves than ever. My three-year-old son, Eli, he knows how to take our, our iPhones and how to unlock them and uh, find his way to the games, open up the games, and play those games. And he loves 
to play Sonic or whatever other game uh, we have loaded for him on our phones. And um, the other day he was on the couch and he was playing games. And the next thing, we were just around the house and we heard, we heard the, the noise of photos being taken, but like a hundred photos a, a minute, just like this is just rapid fire. And we could just hear that that storage, that 32 gigs, it's, it's basically gone by this point. It's just, he's taking photos of everything. So we, we rush in and we find Eli walking around the house, basically taking photos of everything. The only problem was the camera wasn't on the back camera, which is on the back of your phone so that it can take photos of stuff out there. He had accidentally switched it to the front camera and was just taking selfies the entire time. So there was about 400 photos of Eli's face uh, on my wife's phone. Now, you know what it's like when you accidentally switch to the front camera because you're not ever really ready for that, for that what, what you're going to find when you switch, Right? You'll be, you'll be wanting to take a photo of something, you accidentally switch it to front camera, and you kind of look something like this, uh, you know, looking, <laughs> when you look at yourself, you're like, oh, geez, just switch it back again. But sometimes, that's not me, by the way, just so that you know. But sometimes this happens to us as Christians, where instead of focusing on Jesus and focusing on other people, we accidentally, in everything that we do, we accidentally switch to front camera view. And this is what Christianity can so easily become. We walk around thinking that our focus is on what it's supposed to be, but in actual fact, we're snapping a hundred selfies of ourselves, constantly thinking and reflecting on ourselves. And, and, and it's good to do some reflection. It's good to evaluate your life and, and, and evaluate your relationship with God and look at some of the things that you need to change and that you need God's help in changing. It's good to do that, but it's not good to do that all of the time. It's not good that we are constantly focused on ourselves because what will happen is, is that even when you do good things, the focus will actually be on you. I remember the words of C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity, where he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's not diminishing your value or, or, or diminishing your significance. It's not looking down on yourself and hating yourself, but it's actually just the ability to forget yourself. To not be so obsessed about yourself all of the time. This is the trap in all of our spiritual activity and everything that we do. In coming to church, in praying, in, in, in reading our Bibles, all the stuff that are good to do, the trap is, is that we can accidentally switch to front camera. And you are doing things for God, but at the same time, you're, you're in your mind, in your heart, you're snapping selfies of yourself. Oh, this is me praying. Oh, this is me, this is, this is me giving to the poor. Oh, this is me being a great person. And we can turn it around and, and make it about us, even when we do things for God. We can become proud. That's what it means to be proud and, and self-righteous. We live in a world that teaches us that the more people are focusing on us, the more important we are. The more people are serving us, the more valuable we are. And so it's all about getting people's attention, getting people's focus, getting, getting uh, more people behind us. That's become our definition in this world of being great. But when Jesus showed up, he showed us that the exact opposite is true. Where the Bible says he made himself of no reputation. 
He wasn't out to, to make him, his name great. He wasn't out to live for himself. He wasn't uh, clicking selfies and posting it so that people can see uh, how awesome his life is. Jesus wasn't doing that kind of stuff. He, he made himself of no reputation. In Mark 10 verse 42, the disciples are busy arguing about who is the greatest, or who will be the greatest as a disciple, who will sit at the right hand of Jesus in heaven. And so Jesus overhears this and it says in, in verse 42, Mark 10, 42, it says, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. As believers, as Christians, as leaders in the kingdom, I don't want you, Jesus is saying, to be great like the world is great. The world thinks they're great. People in the world think they're great because they can exercise authority over you. But it, this is not what we're like. This is not who we are as a people. It says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the son of man, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even the son of man. This is the position of Jesus. He said, I'm not, I'm not here to be served. I'm the son of God, but I'm not here to be served. I've come to serve. And if you would be the greatest, greatness in the kingdom means to be a slave of all. Greatness in the kingdom means to have a servant heart. Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve. And I believe the more we become like Jesus, the more our heart would be to serve. The more our heart would be to serve. Can I, does any, are there any ladies that have a scarf here this morning? I just want to show you something real quick. This might be a little bit, a little bit of, a, of a big one, but I want to show you something that I, I learned in Bible school, and I'll never forget this. It was actually Pastor Mark Hodgetts who taught us this, and, and he's one of our... Uh, our apostolic oversight and, and uh, was here actually last week. And I remember him teaching me this. He says, a lot of people, when they come to church, they come to church like this. With a napkin tucked into their front shirt and into the front of their shirt and just going, okay, I'm here to eat, pastor. Feed me now. Come, church. What are you, where are you guys not doing your job? I'm here to eat. Come, serve me. I'm ready for my food. I drove all the way here. I got up early. I brought my kids. Now feed me, church. Feed me, pastor. Come on, the worship needs to be a bit a little bit better. The preaching needs to be a little bit, be a little bit better. And so, so often we take this, this attitude of wanting to be served. But when Jesus comes into our life and when Jesus comes into our church, he takes, it, he takes us from approaching church like that to approach, approaching church like this. I'm here to serve. I'm here to be a part of what God is doing. I'm here to see where I can help. I'm here to see where I can encourage. I'm here to find out what's going on in people's lives, to really connect with them and see if I can give them a phone call in the week and encourage them and help them and, and see them through difficult times. I'm here to, to be a part of what God is doing. I'm not just here to say, feed me quickly so that I can go home. I'm here to serve. Jesus served his disciples even though he was the son of God. He got down on his knees and washed their feet. And he said to them while doing that, this is an example. I'm showing you something. I'm teaching you something. I want you to treat each other this way. 
I want you to wash each other's feet. I want you to serve one another. I want you to be willing to consider the other people in your life, the other people in your church, the other people in your community as more important than yourself. Now, we're so busy snapping selfies with our front camera that we don't even get this sometimes. We, this has become, for many of us, completely lost on us. But we're called to be the least and to be truly humble and servants of all. This is what greatness in the kingdom looks like, becoming a servant. In fact, when it comes to God's kingdom, there is no higher calling than to be a servant. The Bible says that we will stand before God one day. We will stand before our master one day. And if we have lived the life that God has called us to live and kept our faith in Jesus, we will stand before him and he will say to us, well done, good and faithful. Not pastor, not good and faithful business leader, not good and faithful whatever else you wanna insert there. Simply good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into God's rest. Last week, Benita and I uh, were privileged to be able to spend a few days in uh, the United Arab Emirates. And that's why I've got uh, Durham that I just found in my pocket um, that's left over from then. And, um, and at that time, we went to go and, and visit the Grand Mosque in Abu Dhabi. And uh, you can see just the incredible scale. If you look at that photo, there's a guy standing at the bottom there. Uh, thousands of these pillars. That entire building is made out of Italian marble. And when I say made out of Italian marble, it's not tiled with Italian marble, which would already cost a lot of money. It's actually solid Italian marble. It's incredibly heavy, incredibly expensive. In fact, I heard that when they built it, Italy ran out of marble. They, I mean, there's no more marble in Italy. They had to wait for Italy to produce more marble so that they could finish this grand mosque. And we were there and we heard about this great site, these pillars that run past there. There's uh, over a thousand of them. They're all inlaid with precious stones. Uh, Benita and I went in there. Uh, I think I've got another photo there that I'll show you. There's, there's Benita standing in front of the courtyard and uh, just this incredibly beautiful place. We went, wanted to go and see what it was like and go and, and, and marvel at this. And, and I was thinking about it walking in there. I, I thought to myself, I wonder what it would be like if I, be, if I was a, a follower of Islam and I went into this mosque, if, I, if, if, if that was actually my faith and I walked into this grand building. And I thought to myself, it would feel like I'm a part of something great. It would feel like I'm a part of something big if I was a Muslim visiting a place like this. But I've also been to places like Rome and I've been to places like Milan and I've also walked in some of the biggest churches in the world, the biggest cathedrals, the oldest cathedrals, the Vatican. I've, I've been to those places and, and uh, from a Christian point of view, there are some incredible buildings. But as I was leaving this mosque that afternoon, I turned to Benita and, and I mentioned something to her. I said that no matter how impressive a, a mosque or a church or a building is, it's still just a building. It's still just some marble that was carved by some guy in Italy and shipped over, uh, shipped across the sea and, and, and installed in this place. It's still just something that was fashioned by the hands of people. And just because we give it a religious name like church or mosque or whatever else you want to call it, it doesn't mean that God lives there. We come to Stephen, 
And we know that Stephen was a great servant. He was a man, as the disciples said, as the apostles said, of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And he does great things. He's a great servant. He loves to serve. He waits on the tables. And even in that position, sometimes people think that God can only use you if you are holding a microphone and preaching on a Sunday morning. But here's Stephen, the guy appointed to watch over tables, and he's doing signs and wonders. God is using him in that place that God has called him to be. God is, is using him. And he's doing such a great job. He's teaching and people are turning to, to the faith. People are coming to Jesus. So again, as we see in some of the previous chapters, Stephen gets into trouble. And Stephen gets arrested. They arrest him. And uh, they lock him up. And later on, they, they, they charge him for preaching heresies. Especially some of the stuff that he said about the temple. In Acts 7 verse 47, it says, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. He's talking about Solomon who built the temple in Israel. Yet the most high, he says, does not dwell in houses made by hands. This is Stephen speaking to Israelites who love the temple, who worship at the temple, who would die for the temple. And he says, God does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all of these things? You stiff-necked, this is a great way to end a speech, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. These Religious people of Israel resisted the Holy Spirit because they wanted to serve themselves. They didn't want the focus to be on Jesus. They didn't want to switch to back camera view. They wanted to keep it on the front camera. They wanted to follow the law. They wanted to make themselves righteous. And so they resisted God's Spirit, what God's Spirit wanted to do. But in Acts 6, when it speaks about Stephen, it says he was full of, of the Spirit, and full of faith, and full of grace, and full of power. And so ultimately what I'm saying today is that Stephen was a great servant because he caught on to the truth that he was now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God's presence didn't reside in buildings, that following traditions and rites and religious procedures in a building did not make you full of the Spirit. What made you full of the Spirit was putting your trust in Jesus and, and receiving His grace and His power and His ability, and that now as somebody who is full of the Spirit, wherever you go, God's Spirit is with you. He moves with us wherever we are. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, now don't, just, don't just take that and go, yeah, yeah, yeah we, we know that. I want you to know this. His spirit lives in you. Every single one of you. If your faith is in Jesus, God's spirit resides within you. We all serve in, in different capacities. We all have different callings and different giftings that God has given us, but it's the same spirit that empowers all of us. Different ministries, but the same spirit. 
The Bible talks about God's grace in various forms. Some of you are gifted in, in worship and, and musically, and we saw that this morning, and, and that's God's grace. Some of you are, are gifted as givers, as generous people who love to give, and, and that's God's grace. Some of you are gifted in, in serving even beyond what normal people would be willing to do as a servant. You just, you just serve, and that is a gift of God. Some of you are gifted leaders and, and strategists and, 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 and business and finance people, and whatever area God has gifted you in, it's still by His grace and by His Spirit. Because we have God's Spirit residing within us, we receive God's ability in every area of our lives. It means that God helps us to be servants. God helps us to be servants. Jesus said this. He said in His Sermon on the Mount, He said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meekness doesn't mean hanging your head and avoiding eye contact and being shy wherever you go. Meekness is actually something so powerful because it is a humility. Now, listen to this. Don't miss this. It is a humility that comes from being satisfied in Christ. In other words, when you're not satisfied, when you're striving for significance all the time, when you're trying to prove yourself all the time, what you will do is every situation you go into, you will try and enforce yourself on that situation so that people will notice you and so that you'll go, okay, I matter, I'm valued. But when you're satisfied in Christ, when your value is settled in Christ and you believe it truly, you will go into situations and you will be willing to be the least because you know that it's not affecting your value. And so meekness is actually satisfaction in Christ. We are in a place where we're willing to be meek, willing to be humble, willing to be the least, willing to be servants. So what does it mean to be a good Christian? It means to be a good servant. What does it mean to be a good leader? It means to be a good servant. What does it mean to be a good husband or wife? It means to be a good servant. What does it mean to be a good father or mother? It means to be a good servant. What does it mean to be a good child or, or neighbor or friend? It means to be a good servant. Take married couples. If you have two people who are absolutely committed to just serving one another and being meek in their relationship towards one another, that will be a strong marriage. A good marriage is made up of two servants. And God gives us the ability by His Spirit, because He resides in us, to be such servants, just like He gave Stephen that ability. To be servants, we have to be with people. You, you can say, I'm a great servant of God, but I'm, I'm just going to go sit in my room, and you won't be doing much serving. We want to be able to care for people. The Bible speaks about us caring for those around us, especially those that are vulnerable, especially the widows and the orphans. The great thing is that you don't need qualifications to be a great servant. You don't have to go to university to be a great servant. You just have to be willing. I heard this the other day. Somebody said this, volunteers don't necessarily have the time. They just have the heart. Volunteers don't necessarily have the time. They just have the heart. They have the heart to make a difference. And so we come here to the end of the story, and, and, I'm, and I'm finishing on this. In Acts chapter number 7, 
and verse 54, because I told you in the beginning, we're going to end with this moment where Jesus stands up. Acts 7 verse 54, it says, now when they heard these things, Stephen makes this great speech. And when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Literally, guys making me so angry, I'm just gnashing my teeth. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, there it is again, just full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen, just full of the Spirit, loves to serve, loves to, to, to care for people, loves to give, loves to be the least. He speaks truth and these guys are so mad at him and he, he looks up into heaven and, and he sees Jesus and Jesus is now standing. He's not in his normal seated position, but he is standing to meet Stephen. And he said, verse 55, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which means he died. What's absolutely incredible about this is that the grace of God and the Spirit of God residing within us gives us the, abilities to, uh, the ability to not only love people who are lovely and easy to love, the grace and the Spirit of God within us doesn't, gives us the ability to, to, to love those who are literally against us, our enemies, persecuting us, standing against us. That's a supernatural kind of, of spirit that God gives us. Ability to love those who are persecuting you. And the very last thing that Stephen does, such a great servant, so full of the Spirit, is that literally the people that are throwing rocks at his head, he prays for them. Can you just imagine that for a moment? People are stoning you to death, and while you are dropping to the ground, you use the last words that you have to forgive them, to pray for them, and to ask God to not hold what they're doing against them. That's servanthood. That's the heart of of Jesus, that's grace. Some of you are saying, I, I wish I could serve those people, but you just don't know what they're like. You just don't know how these people treat me. There's no ways I can serve them. But Stephen was serving those that were throwing rocks at his head. And finally, we see that there is a great reward for our service. When we serve God, he loves to reward us as well. And what Stephen sees as he has done his run his race, he's done everything that God had called him to do, is that he sees Jesus standing up. You stand up when you want to honor somebody, 
The Bible says that precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. When, when, when people die physically, it's, it's precious to God. It matters to him. And he stands up to meet Stephen. And I'm pretty sure moments later, Stephen heard those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I don't know about you. This is a challenge for me. This is hard. Like you, I live in a world that loves to switch to front camera, that, that, that loves to post selfies, that loves to make it all about me. As human beings that are flawed, we love and crave that attention as well. We want it. But I am praying that God would give me this gift, that God would give me the grace to be delivered from my self-absorption. And to be able to, instead of focusing on myself, switch to back camera and focus on what's really important in life. Focus on Him, focus on Jesus, and focus on other people. Truly love them and truly serve them. And I'm hoping that we would be a church filled with people that love to serve, that love to give everything that they have to God. We can't do it in our own strength. But because we are temples of the Holy Spirit, we can serve like Stephen did, even to our last dying breath. How many of you want that for your own life? Come on, to really be a servant in every context, at work, at home, at church, with everything God has given you to serve. I'm gonna pray for us this morning. I'm gonna pray that God helps us to become servants, that we would consider other people more important than ourselves and that he would deliver us from self-absorption uh, by his grace.